Great worship. Thank you, Brian, as well. Thank you so much, man. Well, I also want to give a huge hello to the kids. I didn't do that earlier. Thank you, kids, for being here with us today. It's great to have all of you in this service. I wanted to start out today with a verse. Very first thing, I'm going to hit you with the verse. It's Romans 15, 13. This verse not only encapsulates everything that we saw in this entire Advent series, but this verse is a great theme verse for 2020. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, may abound in hope. This is our God. He is a God of hope, and he wants to fill you with hope. He wants hope to be something that is in your life. That's how we started this Advent series a few weeks ago. We started with hope, and then we saw the two reactions of hope. It's joy and it's faith. And today, we're wrapping this whole series up with a look at peace. And we're stepping into a new decade, 2020, just a few days away. And I want you to know how you can find peace in 2020. And how not only can you find peace, but you can be a peacemaker in 2020. It's, it would be really easy to say right now, uh, we need peace now more than ever. But to tell you the truth, that's not really the case. Because the world has always been full of jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, and every vile practice. That's always been the case. So truth be told, what we need from you and what you need to do in 2020 is to bring peace into this world because this world has always needed that. It's always needed Christians who know God to bring peace. And seven times in the Bible, God calls himself the God of peace. And it's one of the character traits of his glory. Along with love and along with unity, peace is one of the primary ways that a Christian can show who God is to this world. And no doubt about it, we do feel the opposite of peace in our culture right now. I mean, you just turn on the news. There's, there is people who are upset, people who are angry. There's all of that going on. 2019, in many respects, was pretty ugly and nasty. And the handwriting is on the wall for 2020 to have a lot of those same things happen. But if you want to be unique, stand out, and make a difference, you just have to have Hope, faith, joy, and peace. The, those things equal love. And that is how we show the world who God is. That's how we live out our calling and become a peacemaker. And I realize as well, as we start this out, that some of you are hearing, all right, peacemaker, great, David. How do I even get to the point where I can bring peace to people when I don't even have peace in my own soul right now. There are things going on in my heart, in my life that I am struggling with. I have my own storms that will not quit raging. There may be political aspirations. Maybe it's ideological breakdowns that are going on. Maybe, maybe that's crushing your inner peace. Or it could be comparison, which is the thief of joy, or fear, or an unhealthy craving for acceptance that turns peace into a foreign concept. There's a lot of things that fight against peace in our world, aren't there? And those things impact us. 
Well, today we're going to be in James chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 18. And this passage is tucked in between two very well-known passages. We have a passage on the power of your tongue and the fire that your tongue can bring. And then we have a passage against, that warns us against worldliness. And nestled right in between those two famous, popular passages, they get all kinds of hype, all kinds of buzz. We have this not-so-well-known passage on peace, James 3, 13 through 18. And I think it's kind of funny that this one is almost overlooked and not as well-known because the things that we have to do with our lives to find peace are not talked about as much. Peace is a very popular word. People love the word peace, but actually getting to peace, the actions that are behind getting to peace are not as popular. And today, we're going to see the wisdom from above contrasted with the mess that's down here in this world that is lacking peace. And right before we get into this, I want you to know one more thing, one more important thing. And that is to know true peace. If you really want to find lasting peace that will never leave you or forsake you, you have to know Jesus. Only people who know God can know lasting, true peace. There's a lot of people who try to have peace and they, and they do fun things to get peace for a limited period of time. There's political leaders who can maintain a semblance of peace for a limited period of time. There's the cultural referees who try to facilitate some sort of peace for a limited period of time. But only people who know Jesus can have lasting peace. A peace that surpasses understanding. And I know that's a bold statement. I realize that that's a controversial statement. Not everybody may understand that right now. But we're going to see in James chapter 3 that only men, women, and children who know Jesus Christ can bring peace with their words. They can, they're the only people who can actually experience what it's like to have everything going wrong around them. Everybody against you swirling around. But to say, it's all right. I'm going to be fine. I know God is with me. Only Jesus people can have that kind of peace. And we're wrapping up this decade right now, the 2010s. It's going to be so nice to just say the 20s because it's so much easier than saying the 2010s, the decade of the, the best movie of the 20s. Like, we're not going to say that anymore. We're going into the 20s. And I would say that in this last decade, though, Memes have been, it's just been the decade of the internet meme, is it not? Like, isn't that, it's just taken over? People love their memes on the internet, which ironically does not produce a lot of peace. There's a lot of funny jokes that are made, arguments that are quote-unquote won by memes, but I want to show you a meme that I made that actually sums up what we're about to read in James chapter 3. Only followers of Jesus can know true peace. Change my mind. And that's kind of the way our culture works right now. It's like, I'm going to say something. I'm not even going to listen to what you have to say. Just listen to me. Change my mind. I'm not really even listening to you. But right now, you're not going to listen to me. I want you to focus on what James says. Because we're going to read God's word, and God's word never goes out of style. We'll probably make jokes on the internet another way in the 20s. We probably won't do memes forever. But God's word will stand true for all time. And let's see what James says about finding peace, about spreading peace and sharing peace, not only for right now, but into this next decade of the 20s. So verse 13, 
Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The first point today is recognize the markers of earthly chaos. Recognize the markers of earthly chaos. We can see that in verse 16. We all want peace in our hearts, in our homes, in our workplaces. We want peace in our spirit, right? James is telling us, first of all, that there's some actions that cannot coexist with peace. There are a couple things that if they're going on in your heart, peace is not going to be there. It's just they cannot coexist together. And when you stop and think about it, every single one of these markers of earthly chaos that we see in the beginning of this passage, they're all the opposite of the character of God. They're the exact opposite. So the first one here, bitter jealousy. Does that have anything to do with God? No, it doesn't. Thank you. Bitter jealousy is something that you want to get and you don't deserve having. It's not yours, but you want to have it anyway. God, he is not bitter, bitterly jealous about anything. God is jealous, but why is God jealous? God is jealous for you and for me because he created us. He loves us. He knows what's best for us. And so God's jealousy is wonderful because he's the only being in the universe who should have jealousy because he owns everything, right? So God loves us. He's jealous for us, which is a comforting truth. But it's not the bitter, selfish kind of jealousy. It's the opposite of that. When we try to get things that don't belong to us or live for a passion that we don't necessarily need, God's peace is replaced with jealousy. And this is where bitterness will creep in. It creeps in when we don't get everything we want. And if we adopt, adopt that mentality that I deserve what I want, I should get this, I should have this, we will become bitter because we will never get our hands on everything that we want. It just won't happen in this life. So you cannot have peace if you have bitter jealousy. And here again, if someone doesn't know Jesus Christ, have a personal relationship with him, they are gonna be missing the one thing that they have to have first. The one thing that they truly need, the one thing that they were created to have, this relationship with God. So of course they're gonna want other things. They're always gonna be looking to go to the next thing, the next high. I want this, I want that. And you never get everything you want and it creates jealousy which cannot coexist with peace. Jesus is the one who brings that. John 4, 14, this is something that Jesus said. Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
You want to never be thirsty again? You find the living water from Jesus Christ. That's where it begins and that's where it ends. You have to know Jesus Christ. That's where we're at with this. And that's tragic when someone doesn't know Christ because if they die, again, they will not have peace for eternity when they have separation from God. They will have anything but that. But it's even more tra- it's also tragic when Christians who know Jesus put something else over Jesus Christ. They don't make him the God of their life and they search something for something else. They go after something else and they also find jealousy in place of peace. Here's the next action that cannot coexist with peace in this passage. It's selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. Again, the opposite of God's character. Does God have any selfish ambition? Well, think about that for a second. God sent his son Jesus into this world to be the savior of our sin. Jesus voluntarily went to the cross and sacrificed his own life, shed his blood for you and for me. The most selfless act that you could ever do. He gave his life for us. So selfish ambition does not exist in the character of God. It's not there. We can't have selfish ambition and have peace at the same time. And again, when we pursue ambitions for our own selfish glory, what are we doing? We are robbing God of his glory that is his. And that's what is going on in the world around us. You see a lot of selfish ambition out there in the world. People who are trying to cheat the system to get a little bit more bonus. Companies who defraud their customers just to pad their bottom line. People talking about other people behind their backs to get a step up, a step ahead. Selfish ambition is not from heaven. That's what this passage says. It's unspiritual. It's the antithesis of the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 16 again. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. These are the red flags that cannot coexist with peace. And if you feel these in your own heart, if you identify this and say, whoa, whoa, this is coming on. This is a great marker to say, I need to step back. I need to find my God. Who is my God? What does he want me to do? Why do I feel this way? And think about what God did for you. Both jealousy and selfish ambition have something in common. Both of them are rooted in pleasing yourself over living out what you've been created to do. It puts your desires over your mission that God has created you for. And when we do that, we're going to run into jealousy, we're going to run into selfish ambition, and we're not going to have peace. When six-year-olds and four-year-olds are going after their own thing for selfish ambition, how many of you saw that this Christmas break? Anybody, any parents at home see, see a little bit of that? I mean, that's one thing with kids, with the six-year-old and the four-year-old. It's another thing when you have you know, a 36-year-old and a 44-year-old going after the same relationship. There's selfish ambition there too, and that's That's really ugly as well. And then you have the 56-year-old and the 44-year-old who want the same job promotion. Adults can do the same thing. And every time you do that, you don't have peace because you're not reflecting the character of God. Again, 
you may be thinking, well, David, this is now really getting discouraging because how can I ever do this? I want to love people the right way. I, I, I want to have this peace, but I keep getting tripped up with my own selfish ambition. I keep going after things that I shouldn't be going after. Well, to do this, to accomplish this, you have to put this off and put something else on. And Philippians 2 talks about this. This is our example right here is Jesus Christ. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. There's your answer. You want to know how you can do this? You have to look to Jesus Christ. You have to know Jesus Christ. Again, only people who know Jesus can have peace because you can look back and say, Jesus, what does is, what is the rest of the Philippians 2 say there? This is the passage where it says that Jesus humbled himself and became a man. He came, he came down from heaven to this dirty, sin-cursed world to live a perfect, sinless life so that he could give his life a ransom for many. We are never going to get over our own selfish ambition. We're never going to get over our selfish jealousy until we start meditating on the truth of who Jesus is and what he did for us. When we make that our focus, that's going to start changing the way we look at people, the way we start acting people. If you fill your heart with what Jesus has done for you, you are going to want the best for other people. And that's where peace comes in. It's really that simple. Fill your heart with what Jesus has done for you, and you will look at people differently. That's the secret recipe. And here's the next way that you can find true peace in 2020. Point number two is... First, find purity before you move forward with peace. You see that in verse 17? But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, so on and so forth. It starts right here with purity. Heavenly wisdom has this characteristic. It's pure. In this passage, we are told that wisdom from above, in contrast to the world's wisdom is first pure. And why is purity mentioned as the first characteristic of wisdom here in this passage? It's because God is pure. That's why. All of this goes back to the character of God. God himself is pure. And this word purity is really a synonym of the word holy. That's what, that's what we're looking at in the text. It's this expression of a, a pure heart that dispels darkness and illuminates everything. It's not influenced by any other things. Before you can truly make peace, you have to be pure in your heart, your mind, and in your motives. You will not have true, lasting peace if you're missing purity, if you have the wrong motives. I mean, think about it in this sense. If you're trying to make peace uh, just so you can relax and sit back and, and have some peace and quiet, is that really achieving true, lasting peace? No, you're just making it more comfortable for yourself. True peace is reconciliation. 
And that's a lot more work than just telling everyone to settle down and lower their voices. And we have to dig deeper than the surface level. Are my motives pure? What are my motives here in this situation? See, the truth is God is pure, and in him there is no selfish ambition. There's no hidden agendas. You will never have lasting peace in your heart or in your workplace if you don't first have the pure truth of the holiness of God. you got to know the character of God and have that as the bedrock. God is just. God is forgiving. God loves us. And when you personalize those truths and you, and you are realizing that that is true of you now, that's how you can be loving to other people. So true peace, true peace must start with pure motives. It has to be there. New Year's is coming. We're just a few days away now. I'm really excited about it. We're going to be in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. My parents have a cabin, so I'm excited to spend that time with them. And one thing that we do as a family tradition is we make something called green stuff. Green stuff is great. It is vanilla ice cream, green sherbet, and ginger ale all blended together. But you have to have the right combination, which is like the Rudy family secret recipe, right? We're going to be making that in a few days. It's going to be delicious. But if you have just a little bit of maybe some melted ice in the, in the bottom of that blender before you put in the perfect combination of ginger ale, vanilla ice cream, and, and green sherbet, you know, there's people in my family who will notice a difference. This is not exactly the right recipe. I mean, if you have anything in that blender besides those ingredients that need to be in there, it's not first pure. There's something wrong in there. If you have the wrong motive, it's the same thing as having almost like some old milk in the blender before you blend your, your delicious concoction together. You can't mix other things in there. You can't have the wrong motives. It has to be first pure motives, and then you can move forward with peace. Now, so far in this passage, so far in this sermon, we have seen a lot of philosophical. We've seen a lot of deeper level foundational elements to peace. We're talking about our motives. We're talking about the things that you have to do first. We're talking about all of this stuff that's not action items. The last point today is for the people who love to just get out there and do it, okay? I'm, I'm glad James started with the foundational elements. I'm really glad he started with that. And now for the rest of this passage in verses 17 and 18, he gives us some specifics on what this looks like. Point number three, sow a harvest of righteousness and find peace in the process. Look again at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what does a peacemaker do? This is really getting down to the brass tacks. What are you to do according to this passage? Looking at these verses. All right, well, a peacemaker isn't just somebody who simply says, hey, let's stop quarreling. Let's achieve harmony. It's not just an arbitrator. All right? Looking again at verse 18, what does a peacemaker sow? What does a peacemaker sow? Is it, is it peace? No, look at that. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
So I had to give this passage a double take because it's not peace. You're not sowing peace just to bring peace. You're sowing seeds of righteousness to find peace. This is not what I expected James to say. I thought he would say, yes, sow peace and you get a harvest of righteousness. It does, it's not that way. It's not that simplistic because it's simplistic to say, I want a sandwich. Bring me a sandwich. I got a sandwich. That's the simple way to look at it. No, if you really want a sandwich, what do you do? Well, I'm going to get out the bread. I'm going to get a knife, and I'm going to slice the bread up. Now, I'm going to get some meat, and I'm going to put that on the bread. I'm going to go find my favorite sauce in the refrigerator, which I did yesterday. It was the old yellow Carolina barbecue sauce from Wild Wings. Put that on my sandwich yesterday. It was amazing. But you're adding ingredients you're layering that. That's how you make a sandwich. And sandwiches don't just appear out of thin air. Peace doesn't just appear out of thin air by saying, let's have peace. It doesn't work that way, right? I mean, can you nod your heads? Are you experiencing this? Have you ever tried to tell your family, let's calm down, let's be peaceable, and then five minutes later, it's not peaceable again? What do you have to do to find peace? You have to sow a harvest of righteousness, These are the characteristics of God. You live these characteristics out, then the byproduct is peacefulness. You want a sandwich, you have to make the sandwich. They don't just make themselves. And this is the same way we find peace. To know peace, you have to know Jesus. And you have to allow the character and the glory of God, mercy, gentleness, goodness, sincerity. These are the aspects that we have to live out, that we have to bring to the table. So I think it's, a, I think it's important here to go through these ingredients of peace. Let's just do that. The first one is a peaceful attitude. Peaceful attitude. And a nice way to look at that is those first two parts, gentle and open to reason. And this one hits close to home for me because this is the one I struggle with the most. Personally, the way, my, the way my temperament is, I have a hard time with this sometimes. But to be gentle and to be open to reason, my wife will tell you that, that, that that's not my strongest character trait. My wife's a lot better at that than I am. My kids could probably say the same thing. But you have, we, and that's no excuse. It's not an excuse because we have to follow Jesus Christ. We have to be led of the Holy Spirit. We have to work on these because for some other people, you may have a harder time with another one. But to be gentle and open to reason means that you don't have to raise your voice and talk fast to prove your point. It means you can actually lower the intensity in your voice because that reflects the character of our God. I mean, my, my mom would tell me all the time, David, you can listen more than you talk. And my wife has said the same thing. <laughs> David, you can listen more than you talk. That would be classified as being gentle and open to reason. Someone who's willing to accept correction will grow in this area and they will find peace. Another one here is peaceful action. Peaceful action full of mercy and good fruits. Now, at our church, at Doxa Church, we talk about grace and mercy all the time. What's the difference between grace and mercy? Well, well, grace is God giving you something that you do not deserve. How amazing is that? God gives you something you don't deserve. God's mercy 
is when he withholds from you something that you do actually deserve. We do actually deserve judgment for our sin, but by God's mercy, he provided a way that we wouldn't have to face that judgment. That's the mercy of God. And the grace of God is that he sent Jesus into this world to die for us to provide a way. And he gives us all kinds of grace. That, that cup that we have is overflowing with grace. And it's overflowing with mercy. And to have a peaceful action with our, with our words and with the way we interact with our family members, with our coworkers, with our, with our classmates at school, we have to meditate on the grace and the mercy of God. Have that at the forefront of your mind. Ephesians 2 talks about this. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. If you want to just take your Bible and turn there really quick, we, we've just been in Ephesians. And this is, this is what you have to look at. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You look at what Jesus did for you. You don't, and when, when, you, when you feel that and when you realize that, you don't have to fight for every dime you deserve. You're not, you're not, you're not living that kind of life anymore. And you don't always have to just give people what they deserve. It's not like, they didn't do this for me, so I'm not going to do this for them. We don't have that mentality anymore because we realized God did so much for me that I never deserved. I could never pay him back. So it's okay. That's how we show his glory. That's how we sow the fruits of righteousness. And along the way, we reap this harvest of peacefulness because we've shown his glory shown his mercy. We've, shown, we've sown those good fruits. And I know we're not all gardeners, but you reap what you sow. You plant seeds of righteousness, you reap seeds of righteousness. The last one here is the peaceful judgment. This is impartial and sincere. This is what we are to be. Now, impartiality, this is one of those, this is one of those words and one of those actions that everybody thinks they're impartial. I mean, Everyone's like, oh, yeah, I'm an impartial person. For sure. <laughs> Our world is full of people who think they're impartial. But the truth of the matter is, being impartial is a lot harder than it sounds. I mean, how are you doing on loving people and treating people who you don't like? Do you treat people you don't like the same way you treat people that you do like? I mean, when you put it that way... <laughs> It's a lot more rare than you think, right? This is one of the reasons why there's so much selfish ambition and bitter jealousy in our world today is because most people treat people they like better than everybody else. And the people they don't like are treated poorly. That's the way the world functions. But that's not the way God works. That's not the way the people of God should live. And we can actually be peacemakers when we sow these seeds of impartiality. Where we say, you know what? God loved me when I did not love him. God loved me when I was far from him, running the opposite direction. I was unlovely in God's sight. But he loved me anyway. I had nothing good to bring to the table. I was living my selfish life on my own. But God chose me. And God 
saved me. We have an impartial God. And that's why we should also be impartial. Unless you get that Jesus loved you first before you loved him, you are not going to be able to truly have partiality for everyone. Therefore, you're not going to be able to know peace. You're not going to be able to share peace with everyone. Another verse on sincerity, this is a really good one, 1 Peter 1, 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Doesn't that have shades of point number two here, where we have to start with first pure? To be sincere means I'm doing this with the right motives. I'm, it's a genuine love. It's not filled with ulterior motives. It's I want to, this person to know the love of God because I've experienced the love of God. And therefore, I am going to reach out to this person. You have to know God's love for you to know true peace. You have to be motivated by his love for you. You have to be moved by Jesus Christ's love for you. And when you get that and you're first pure, you are going to be sincere. When you tether yourself to Jesus, and Brian, you can come up right now, man. When you tether yourself to what Jesus did for you on the cross, that's when you find this. The only way to sow a harvest of righteousness is to know the love of God. And when we see that, and when that changes us, we can be someone who makes a difference and shares peace and becomes a peacemaker in this world. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the peace that you bring. Thank you for the relationship that we have with you. If there's someone here today who does not know you as their Savior and they've never confessed their sin and turned to you and by faith looked at what you did on the cross, trusted in your death and resurrection, may today be the day that they do that. And Lord, for those of us in this room who know the truth, who are walking with you, and sometimes we get our eyes drifting over to other things, Lord, may we refocus on your love for us because that's where we can find peace, Lord. May we meditate on your grace, on your mercy, and find the hope that is in you. Through faith, through joy, through peace, may we be people who are different in 2020. Quiet those storms in our own heart the unknowns, the fears, the doubts that are, that are always swirling about because they're all so much smaller than you. You give us a peace that surpasses understanding. We can't have it any other way. We're thankful for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Church, let's stand and sing and worship the God of peace. the beauty of heaven all around.